0: Before I get going, uh, I want to just um, say one more word about the baptism class. Uh, you know, even if you are on the fence about baptism, or if you just got questions about baptism, you know, coming to the class, you're not committed to anything, just, just show up to the class and, uh, and just see what it's all about. But it's such a big step and um, uh, worth exploring, I guess is all I'll say. So, baptism class coming up March 4th, uh, so be a part of that and tell your friends. Uh, Last week, we started a teaching series just called Choose Joy, and we're studying the book of Philippians, learning all about what it means to choose joy, uh, even when it doesn't make any sense. And the, the idea of joy runs deep all the way through Philippians. It's only four chapters long, but there's at least 15 explicit references to joy packed in those four chapters. So it's a big idea in the book, a major theme that runs all through the book. And, and throughout this series, we're really finding that, that joy can be found in some unexpected places. You know, last week, if you were here, we learned about joy that comes in partnership. And that's a little bit unexpected because we kind of think... You know, we just want to go it alone. We want to do no interference from anybody. We got this covered. We can do it. And, uh, and yet uh, joy comes not from going it alone, but from being a partner in what God is doing. And so this week, as we continue this series, we're going to find um, even more unexpected place where joy can be found. We're going to find that joy can be found even in pain, even in hardship. And pain is inevitable, Right? Uh, none of us can avoid it. Even if you went your whole life somehow avoiding pain, uh, you would still die, and there's pain involved in that. Uh, and pain, it's, it's inevitable. It can take on a lot of different forms. It can be uh, quick and sudden, or it can be uh, slowly building over time. Right? It can be just searing hot until you think you just can't stand it anymore, and then it disappears, Or it can just be a constant companion. It can be uh, like a weight piling up on top of you over and over again until you just feel like you're going to be crushed. Pain makes us angry, can make us bitter, depressed, resigned, hopeless. Pain's inevitable, And, and sometimes pain even comes when things are good. In fact, the best thing that ever happened to you started with pain. You were born, right? You were born, it started with pain. Pain for you, pain for your mother. And you've probably heard the well-known quote from C.S. Lewis from his book, The Problem of Pain. He says, we can ignore pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So God's not the creator of our pain, but he certainly uses pain in our lives to teach us things and to grow us. And what I love about this quote is that C.S. Lewis wrote it many years before he experienced real deep pain in his own life. He he lost his wife to cancer, but he wrote this book uh, many years prior to that. And, you know, we work hard to avoid pain, uh, but we can't escape the fact that God uses pain in our lives. And maybe, just maybe, Seeking to always avoid pain is a misguided idea. Maybe we shouldn't work so hard to avoid pain. Maybe pain can bring about something good. After all, we were born, right? Pain brought about us. So maybe God desires to use pain in our lives to bring about something good. And yet seeing the good in pain is not natural right? Uh, what is natural is all the other feelings that, that we have, feelings of grief or anger, hurt. Uh, those are natural. And in times of pain, we shouldn't ignore those feelings. Uh, don't, uh, don't ignore those. We should deal with them honestly. You know, one of the worst things you could do is just put on a smile and, and fake it till you make it, thinking everything's okay when it's really not. No, no, that's not healthy. In pain or hardship, we got to deal with those feelings of disappointment, grief, anger, whatever. But but what if there's more? What if there's something beyond those feelings? Well, there is. It's joy. I told you throughout this series we'd be finding joy in unexpected places, and this morning we're going to find joy is something that we can embrace even in times of pain. We could choose joy. And now that doesn't mean that we ignore all our other feelings. No. But joy... It's beyond those feelings. Uh, joy is not a feeling. It's, it's a gift from the Holy Spirit, a gift that allows us to step out of our pain and, and look beyond our hard circumstances to see where God is at work. It's not something that comes to us naturally. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit, and that's why we have to choose it, to choose joy. And it's a choice how we respond, not responding to our pain, but responding to, From our pain. That's what makes the difference. That's how even bad things can have a good purpose. So, if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1. And really, right at the beginning of this letter, uh, Paul shares a simple but very important idea even bad things can have a good purpose. So Paul's writing to the Philippian church. He's encouraging them, and he's writing to them from his prison cell. He's been arrested because he's telling people about Jesus, and he's writing to the church. He wants them to understand what's happened to him. He's in pain. He's in hardship. And yet he tells them in verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So what Paul is really telling them is that he's choosing joy. He tells them even bad things, can have a good purpose. The heading in in my Bible right before this verse, it says, Paul's chains advance the gospel. Paul's been in prison. He was arrested, thrown in jail because he's telling people about Jesus. And yet he wants to encourage the Philippians by telling them that what has happened to him, this imprisonment, has a good purpose. It served to advance the gospel. Even bad things can have a good purpose. If given the chance, Paul would probably not have chosen to be imprisoned I mean, he's not even sure he's going to survive the experience. His situation is not good, but his attitude is good. Paul has chosen joy because he sees that something good is coming from his pain. He sees that God is using it. Now, I don't know how long Paul has been in prison. I don't know how many nights he sat and just wallowed in anger or frustration and physical pain. I don't know. I don't know how long it took him to get to this place where he could choose joy, but I know it's not an easy place to get to. When the weight of his impending death is on his mind, I'm sure joy is not really at the forefront of his thinking, but joy, it's a gift from God. It's not something we can manufacture. It's not a feeling that we work our way into. Joy is something that only comes from us turning to God, even out of desperation, even if that's the only thing we have left nowhere else to turn. And God shows up, and he gives us his perspective on our pain. He allows us to see how he's working in our pain. That's where joy comes from. So this, this choosing of joy, it's not choosing a feeling, but it's choosing really to prioritize our relationship with God, even in the midst of pain. And because Paul chooses joy, then one of the ways that God uses Paul's situation is that it has an effect on other people. I mean, our pain will always have an effect on other people, either positive or negative, but, but Paul chooses joy, and as a result, his pain has a positive effect on others. Look at the passage again, uh, Philippians 1, verse 12, again. He says, uh, he says, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So Paul's pain will bring about good things. It has an effect on other people. He starts off this section with this this phrase that's meant to really draw special attention to what he's about to say. He wants to make sure nobody misses it. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters. In other words, hey, pay attention to this. Don't miss what I'm about to say. It's not obvious, but it's really important. I want you to understand this very critical idea. Even bad things can have a good purpose. What happened to me has had a good purpose, to advance the gospel, he says. And the first thing he tells them is it has an effect on other people. He tells them the whole palace guard has been exposed to the gospel. Word gets around. I mean, there's a lot of prisoners in this particular prison, but there's one that everybody knows about. Everybody knows about him, not because he's a troublemaker, he's not sticking out for the wrong reasons, but he sticks out because why he's in prison. He's not wasting any time. He's making sure everybody knows why he's there. Everybody who comes near him has a chance to hear about Jesus. His pain has an effect on everybody, but in a good way. The passage tells us the whole palace guard understands why Paul is there. I mean, these guards, they provide 24-hour supervision of Paul, and, and these guys would work in four-hour shifts. So every four hours, there's a new guy coming around, getting a chance to hear the gospel. So, you know, in a week or so, everybody's had a chance to hear this crazy guy, Paul. I mean, you went to the break room in the prison, you overheard guards talking, they'd be talking about Jesus. You know, you know this guy in cell block six? He's crazy. Oh, I don't think he's crazy. It he makes a lot of sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. He's talking about some dead guy who came back to life. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I mean, some of the stuff he says kind of hits me right here. You know, everybody's talking about Jesus. Nobody could escape the subject of Jesus. Everybody's got to take a stand one way or another when it comes to Jesus because Paul's having this positive effect on everybody. And he says also it's not only the guards but, but everyone else. Who's also hurt? Who's everyone else? I don't know. It's not totally clear, but uh, anybody who had dealings with Paul and maybe his trial, uh, maybe folks who were just curious about this prisoner talking about some dead guy coming back to life, you know? In any case, there's just a lot of people being exposed to the gospel because of Paul's imprisonment, because of his pain. And Paul, he's got to be loving it. I mean, he's a culture shaper, and he can't even go to the bathroom by himself right? Uh, he's transforming the city of Rome from a little 8 by 8 prison cell. His pain is having a positive effect on people in a big way. And I want you to notice one particular word here. Look at uh, verse 13. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And that, that word clear, that's an unusual word choice. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but it's a word that means evident plain to see, readily known. It doesn't just mean that people see Paul and see that he's somehow a little different, he's unusual. What it means is that they see that he's in chains for Christ, and it's clear, it's seen, and it's understood. There's no gray area. All of the palace guard, they see what Paul's about, And they understand. That's powerful. Paul's pain is having a positive effect on other people because he's choosing for it to have a positive effect. He's choosing joy, and it starts to rub off on other people. The truth about Christ is made clear to them because of Paul's attitude in the midst of his pain. And there's more that he says about this positive effect. Not only is the whole palace guard exposed to the gospel, but look at verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now you would imagine, you know, if a church leader's thrown in prison, that all the other folks would just go into hiding, run away, keep to themselves. But that's not the case. Paul says it's just the opposite. He chooses joy, and as a result, all the other brothers have have grown emboldened. They're not afraid of what might happen to them. They're even more bold than they were in sharing the gospel. They're not worried about facing their own pain because Paul's joy has a positive effect on them. They're speaking the word more courageously and more fearlessly. I read an article recently about the church in Cuba uh, talking about the end of the Cold War in Cuba. And at the time, during uh, the Cold War, the church there was persecuted. Uh, you know, uh, The government worked really hard to keep people away from churches. Church leaders had been imprisoned, and benefits had taken away from people who were kind of publicly aligned with the church, that kind of thing. But after communism fell apart, then uh, the economy in Cuba was terrible, and people were really just disillusioned with the government. But, but people began to notice something about the church, about Christians, And one longtime Cuban believer, he made this observation. He says, the search for meaning is just as crucial as the search for bread. While the economy around us is falling apart, Christians are living in a state of special grace. It's not difficult for Cubans to see the difference between the people of God and those who are desperately trying to live without faith. Ordinary Cubans are becoming aware of the church as a life-saving community of hope. See, pain is inevitable, but the way we respond to pain, it's not. If we choose joy, if we lean into God so that we can see his hand at work in our pain, then we can have a positive effect on other people. The Cubans saw it, and the church grew rapidly as a result. Paul's brothers in Christ see it, and they work to advance the gospel, and we can see it in our own lives with our own positive effect. There's one more positive effect Paul mentions. Look at verse 15. He says, It's true. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So Paul says Christ is being preached more and more, not always with the right motives. Some people are, are preaching Christ out of goodwill. In other words, just a genuine desire to advance the gospel. But uh, this, uh, this other group is out there. This group's preaching Christ but doing so with false motives. You know, maybe they're doing it for their own financial gain or some gain some status. I don't know. But, but Paul doesn't seem worried. In fact, notice how he describes their motives. He says they're envious of him. I mean, that's kind of hilarious, really, envious of this guy who's stuck in chains. They're, they're motivated to be like him. Uh, maybe that's why he's not worried, because they're, they're a little messed up in the head, you know, but... Uh, Paul has a pretty odd reaction to the problem. I mean, odd for a guy who's so defensive about right doctrine and right thinking. I mean, if you read any of Paul's other letters, he spends a lot of time describing the gospel, condemning false teachers, making sure you know, false motives are, are kicked out, all that kind of thing. But here, he just kind of casually mentions, oh, yeah, haters going to hate, no big deal, you know. And the reality is there's nothing he can do about it. He's stuck in prison, so he decides to just, just trust God to choose joy. Seeing how God's at work in, the, in this weird situation, it's a good reminder for us. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul chooses joy, and it's an encouragement to others as the gospel is being advanced. We have some, uh, some dear friends that we've known for many, many years, and uh, we had the privilege of, of walking with them through a very difficult time. Uh, They had a son, Daniel, who had a terminal illness. Uh, You can see his picture there. And uh, I say had because he succumbed to his illness. He passed away at the age of almost six. And um, I don't know if you've ever had to experience anything like this, but all the pastoral training in the world really can't prepare you for uh, sitting late at night in the ICU with parents thinking that this is the night that that Daniel's going to die and... You know, you want to provide some comfort, but there's just really not words in a moment like that. And I share this this story of Daniel with you. Uh, For one, it's it's a story of immense pain, just immense pain. It's not the way it's supposed to be, not the the way the world should work uh, for a child to be taken. But I also share the story of Daniel with you because it's a story of amazing joy. Uh, Daniel's mom says, I'm certain that Daniel never felt very good a day in his life. But if you met him, you would never know. And that's true. He was an amazing kid, so full of joy, just an infectious laugh. And, and this is really the story of his family, this family that, that leaned into God through their pain. And as a result, they were given this gift of joy. Uh, they were able to choose joy, not denying feelings and not denying hurt or grief, any of those things, but, but able to see God at work. And they've been able to choose Joy, and, and watching these friends go through this journey and choose joy, was it had a positive effect on me. It was very inspiring, so inspiring that in many ways it helped my wife and I uh, des- decide to adopt our daughter. I mean, if you're considering adoption, it's different from having a kid the old-fashioned way, you know. Uh, we adopted internationally, and every country is different, but we adopted from China, and, and you have access to this list, this list of pictures and, and names and like a little description of each kid, and it's kind of overwhelming to pick a kid from a list, you know, it's, it's different from the, the normal way of doing it, you know, uh, but you're looking through this list, trying to figure out, okay, what kind of kid do I want, but really what you're doing is you're trying to figure out, okay, what kind of kid can I handle, I mean, because kids who are, are up for international adoption, they're not necessarily 100% healthy, they may have issues that are really minor, they may have issues that are really major, and uh, you got to have to decide, okay, what what can I handle? you got to be honest with yourself about that. And so we're in this process of trying to identify this kid, and and we've seen our friends go through this just horrific season of pain and, and never lose sight of joy in the midst of that, and it really inspired us to dive in, to just be willing to go whatever direction God wanted us to go. And, of course, God guided us to a to a great kid, and that was awesome. And then we had to name her, you know. And names, they're a big thing in our family. All our kids have names with, with special meanings. And so we kind of went back and forth about naming her. And we ended up naming her Ruth uh, after a couple of friends who who both happened to have that name. And so we kind of tackled the big one, but then we had to come up with a middle name, and, and that was its own a whole conversation. And, and for her middle name... We're talking about a bunch of different options, and we ended up choosing Joy. Her middle name is Joy because of the inspiration of these friends. Uh, Seeing them walk through so much difficulty and still choose Joy really inspired us, had a positive effect on us. And now we've got our own super joyful kid, lives up to her name absolutely, just a constant reminder to us of God's sovereign control of the world. So when you choose Joy... Our pain can have a good purpose. It can have a positive effect on other people. And Paul goes on to talk about another positive that could come from our pain. It can have a positive effect on us. Look at uh, verse 19. Verse 19. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So because Paul chooses joy, his pain can ultimately have a positive effect on him. Uh, There's encouragement, there's strengthening, there's growth for us, even in pain. Notice Paul says, what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He knows that bad things can have a good purpose. Now, when he talks about deliverance, he's not not thinking he's going to walk out of that prison cell. He's talking about deliverance of a different sort. I want you to notice there's a subtle shift in the way he's talking, he was talking uh, about the present tense, but now he shifts to talking about the future. He was talking about the effect on others now, you know, the palace guard, the brothers, uh, boldness of his fellow Christians, all that was happening right now for him. But now here he's talking about the future. He's shifted. He says, it will turn out for my deliverance. He says, I will in no way be ashamed. I will have sufficient courage. It, it doesn't take courage to walk out of prison. Right? He's talking about a different kind of deliverance that's coming and and one that's coming in the future. He's he's taking the long view of his pain and his suffering, and that's how he's able to choose joy. It's not a feeling, it's a gift from God. His allowing us to see his hand at work in our pain. So Paul's looking out to the future and finding joy in that hope. And it's really easy to assume that the deliverance he has in mind is death. I mean he's stuck in prison, there's little hope of him being released. What other options are there? There's release or death, right? That seems to be it. And so if he's talking deliverance, it doesn't seem like he's talking out of prison, uh, he must be talking about death. And, And yet look what he says in verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he could seek God's hand at work either in his life or his death. It may not be that death is what will come to Paul at this time. He doesn't know. The only thing he knows for sure is that Christ will be exalted. That might come from his death if he's martyred because of his faith. That might be the path that God has for him. But it might be that he lives and gets out of prison, in which case he'll be able to continue to use his life to serve Christ. Either way, he says Christ will be exalted. That's his ultimate goal, and that's evidence that he's been given the gift of joy, seeing God's hand at work even in his pain. I have a terrible sense of direction, Uh, I could get lost in my own living room with a map. I've really, i got a lot of great skills, but my sense of direction is not one of them. Uh, Something about my internal compass is just broken. Uh, But my wife, she's just the opposite. She has a fantastic sense of direction, even a place she's never even been to before. She can somehow find her way around. She just trusts her gut, and and it pays off for her. I'm always kind of in awe of that because my gut steers me wrong pretty much every time. But... uh, uh, something about my internal compass is just broken, but I'm not alone uh, because all of us have a broken internal compass. I mean, maybe you've got a great sense of direction, maybe you can trust your gut to get you here or get you there, but we all have a broken spiritual compass. We all tend to trust our gut in the spiritual realm, and that's dangerous. It's dangerous because we all default to finding comfort. We always look for what's most comfortable and what's most rewarding to us, and that's very dangerous. Always chasing after comfort is a very dangerous compass. Chasing comfort leads us away from the places where God might want us to go. Chasing comfort leads to to laziness, to apathy, ultimately, often to sin. And Paul gets this, and that's why he says no to what would be the most comfortable for him, death. Death. To die is gain for everybody who's a believer, but especially true, perhaps, for Paul in his circumstances. He's miserable. Death would be a relief, and yet Paul realizes that's the path of personal comfort. As crazy as it might sound, death is the easy way out for him. He knows that that would be the end of all of his problems, all of his pain. It would bring him great joy. He's confident in his eternal security that, uh, that he'll be in God's presence when he dies. I mean, all of us who are believers look forward to that, and especially when we experience pain, when we experience hardships, or, or extreme hardship in particular. It's easy to look forward to the future, to a time when, when all our problems will, will be gone. We'll be with God in his presence forever. But as weird as it may seem, that's the comfortable choice. It's the equivalent of of walking away from our problems, right? But that's not always the path that God has for us. Always moving towards comfort, that's a broken compass. And that's why Paul realizes that death is not what God's will for him is in this situation. He knows the easy way out is not the right way, not God's way for him. So he rejects chasing comfort. He says, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He's willing to sacrifice his own comfort for the sake of others. You know, too often when we have pain, we just pray that God would take the pain away. The pain can be the, the chauffeur that drives us to God. Seeking only comfort is a really dangerous compass to follow because when we choose joy in the midst of pain, that's when God gives us encouragement and growth. He gives us joy because he allows us to see his hand at work even in our pain. I told you the story about our dear friends who lost their son Daniel to a terminal illness, and I want to share something with you that Daniel's mother wrote just a couple of months ago, just at Christmas time, a memory about Daniel. And and in this, I think you'll hear her continuing to choose joy, seeing God at work even through pain. Uh, This is what she writes. She says, There's a memory attached to everything about Christmas. I miss Daniel's big brown eyes dancing with delight as he would stare at the lights on the Christmas tree. I miss having to tell him he had to wait until Christmas to open presents. I miss how he loved to take the balls, the ornaments, off the tree when he was younger and throw them. When he was two, we quickly learned all the breakable ornaments went to the top, plastic at the bottom. I miss shopping for him. The night I sat and wrapped all our presents, I missed wrapping his. I miss watching the big kids play Santa with him. I miss dancing with him on Christmas Eve. I will miss watching him decorate Christmas cookies. We baked today, tomorrow we'll decorate, and his absence will be most noticeable and greatly missed. The way he decorated cookies was very similar to how he shook glitter and threw sequins at his art projects. I just let him go to town. His joy was worth the cleanup efforts. The joy that was such a sweet gift from the Lord. The joy that was most miraculous as it accompanied a little life of great suffering. As I've said before, I'm pretty sure he never felt good a day in his life, but a stranger would never know looking at him. She goes on to describe a sermon she heard, a sermon about prayer. And that the purpose of prayer ultimately was just asking for God to be glorified. And in this sermon, the the preacher says, uh, God's glory is anything that makes God seen. Uh, A little bit like we've talked about this morning. It's a gift from God to be able to see his hand at work in the midst of our pain. And so when a prayer is answered, she writes, we see the glory of God. We see what God is like. And she goes on to say this. I've said many times in the course of Daniel's life and since his death that God's hand, God's presence, God's sovereignty has been undeniable. And then yesterday, listening to this sermon, the numerous prayers that have seemed unanswered in regards to Daniel's sickness, death, and suffering, I now see were very much answered. I see now through Daniel's entire life, he reflected God's glory. I see God's grace in his life, God's love, God's wisdom, God's sovereignty, God's compassion. This joy that I saw in Daniel, a joy that was unwavering in a life of great suffering, was a reflection of God's glory as an answer to tens of thousands of prayers prayed on Daniel's behalf. It was a joy that did not make sense for his life circumstances. And so this Christmas, amidst the great missing My heart is also full of praise and adoration and worship for our great God, a God that Daniel now sees. We will miss watching you decorate Christmas cookies, Daniel. I praise God for you and that I had a front seat to the miraculous joy that defined your life. It's beautiful, isn't it? When we choose joy in the midst of our pain, it has a positive effect on others. It can have a positive effect on us. Even bad things and have a good purpose when we lean into God and he allows us to see his work in our pain when we choose joy. As we wrap up together, I just want to share a couple more verses from the end of Philippians. Listen to these words of encouragement. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, Contending as one for the faith of the gospel. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Pain is inevitable. It's been granted not only that we would believe on Christ, but also that we would suffer for him. And these words remind us that choosing joy is just that it's a choice. It's beyond our feelings. It's beyond our circumstances. It takes us making a choice to lean into our relationship with God, and then he gives us joy, joy that comes from seeing him at work. It takes effort on our part, but the results are worth the effort. The result is that God is glorified, that others are encouraged, that the gospel is advanced, and that we, too, are lifted up and encouraged. Let me pray god we thank you uh for even difficult times that's difficult thing to to say and yet uh, we want to see you glorified above all we want to see you exalted in our bodies in our lives and i pray that you would give us the gift of joy in difficult circumstances lord i pray that you would continue to show your faithfulness and great love to us not only as individuals but as a faith family. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.